I'm Terry White, I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Empire Magazine and I am here to speak to two gentlemen very involved with the making of this film. So please welcome to the stage this evening, uh, Matt Whitecross, the director and producer, Simon Halfen. So if we go right back to the beginning, Simon, your association with the band has been going for years, right? Do you want to talk a little bit about how you met them? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Funnily enough, I first met, I was living in Los Angeles and I first met them when they first came out there. Um, I didn't, wasn't at the whiskey gig, they'd come out to shoot a video. And because I had, I was friends with Paul Weller and they were friends with Paul Weller, we kind of hooked up and had a beer and kind of from that point, it was almost like um, the friendship with Paul Weller was kind of like a, kind of a gold card. And, oh, he's all right, then he must be right, he's friends with Paul. So we kind of, every time they'd come out to LA, um, we'd kind of hang out, spend a bit of time together, and we kind of enjoyed each other's company. And you um, designed record sleeves. That's right, at that time I was just, that's that what time. I was doing, but I was living in Los Angeles and kind of got the film bug, as you do, because it's, it's an industry town, and kind of got a couple of things in development that you thought naively were going to get made, and, but I kind of balanced both things, but the, at that time, my bread and butter was designing record sleeves and was doing stuff for Paul and then kind of towards the sort of mid-late 90s I moved back to the UK and Noel asked me if I wanted to work with them so I did three or four album covers for them and always kept a kind of good relationship with them. So um, did the idea for the film come about, was it Noel or was it you and Noel together? Like how did it No, it was just, just a, yeah, Noel popped over to our house one day for cup of tea and you know, just, well, how busy are you? And I said, well, what? He said, well, we want to do this film about um, Nebworth. The 20th anniversary of Nebworth is coming up. And we'd like to do a, a documentary. He didn't say a film, it was a sort of documentary. And he said, you know, do you want to get involved? And I said, absolutely. And you know, as soon as he left, I th thought to myself, well, this is something, because I think when he was talking about it, he thought it was going to be a TV thing and nothing, you know, something that could be on Channel 4 at midnight or something just to, bit of concert footage and whatever else. And I said, no, this is a big story. This is a big moment in time. So um, I loved Senna. Um, so I thought, oh, let's just call James Gay Reese, who produced Senna, called his agent. I said, listen, would James and Asif perhaps be interested in having a meeting with Noel about talking about Oasis? And, you know, yes, they were in. And, and so we met. and. That we all like Noel's take on it, you know, and then the next thing was, well, who, we need to find a director. So Matt and I had had a sort of a passing acquaintance on a project that was working. Flirtation. Sex yeah. You, yes. you teased me with this, this I did, yeah, film, yeah, yeah. which I, I, then you bumped me off. Yeah, and we didn't <laughs> like him as it turned But no, I really liked Matt and you know, I knew people that had worked with Matt and... Um, you know, he had a great reputation, but I really liked what I got from his expertise from that other project, because he had some great notes and he was really on top of it. And I thought, God, this guy's a smart guy. And I knew he had a background in music because of the, the, the relationship with Coldplay. And so um, I said, what, you know, what about Matt? And James said, yeah, great idea. And then Matt met with Noel, and then it was all, we were sort of... Happened quite quickly, yeah. Yeah, it happened quite quickly. And then the next stage was to get Liam on board, because it, it would only work, obviously, if both brothers were into it and wanted to do it. And so we 
did that, didn't we? In its, in its, <laughs> yeah, you know, without treading on it, without any, without any treading on any mines. I'd, I've always got on very well with Liam, and but I hadn't seen him for probably three or four years when we when we'd met him, and um, but he was into yes, it right yeah, away, wasn't he? There was no kind of arm twisting. He says, "No, I completely get it. I completely get it. The time's right. Let's do it." Boom, 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 and that was it. And then. The, the, Rest is sort of over to Matt. I could just sort of sit back and <laughs> Matt do all the work after that. So what was that? If we go back a little bit, that phone call when, you know, you first got approached about the project. Yeah. And you were something of an Oasis fan? I was a big Oasis fan growing up. But um, I can't... I guess we talked about doing this other project, this Clash project, and, um, and I hadn't seen every so often you do that thing where something doesn't work out. You was like, oh, we'll go for a cup of coffee. And you always think, yeah, well, okay, whatever. Like someone's just gonna fobbing me off. But it was one of those things. Like every so often yeah. we kind of go, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll meet up, yeah. bump into each other. Yeah. And then you, I think you emailed me out of the blue, and yeah. I was out of the country and just saying, Are you an Oasis fan. And there wasn't any more information than that, so I didn't yeah. know whether they were getting back together. I didn't know what the deal was. But um, and then very quickly after that, it was like, well, do you want to, We want to do something about the band. We haven't quite figured out what that story is yet. Something, but it is it's retrospective. And um, and the next thing was meeting Noel. And I thought, look, even if this is completely pie in the sky and it never comes off. At least I get to meet Noel, and I kind of get to just just hang out and, and talk. But actually, we re haven't really had a chance to talk about what this project was mm. up until the point where we were in a room with Noel, and he asked us what the project was. <laughs> which point we were like, like really, really trying to figure this out, and everyone was, you know, it was slightly, slightly odd because you always go into those meetings where you don't know whether you're still auditioning for it, whether you've got the gig, whether you're on best behaviour, whether you're really generally trying to brainstorm. But I think quite quickly because he'd mentioned Nebworth and he said they had this footage. Then we just felt, well, hang on, we, there's no way we can do all the way to 2009 in two hours. I mean, even when we started making this, this version of the film, and we knew from the beginning it was only going to be the first two and a half years, it's still the first cut was eight hours long, and it didn't have half of the scenes that were in, in the film currently. So I, it was just like, it was a really tricky one, and that just felt like that's a way of focusing. If we do two and a half years, it's the beginning of most bands' life that's the really fascinating and unique bit in my mind. And yeah, okay, once you become big, of course, the stories continue and the blowouts continue, but I felt like you can kind of deal with the bulk of that up front. But yeah, meeting him was, it was kind of amazing and terrifying. And then similarly with Liam, but they immediately put you at ease. Similarly with me. No, yeah, yeah similarly <laughs> with Pot and Simon. I'm still terrified of them. That's why I'm kind of leaning <laughs> over this way. But it's kind of, they, they're larger than life characters. They're exactly as you expect they would be in a good way. So they're very funny. They're in your face. They're kind of, you have to, yeah, you have to keep on your toes because they're very, they'll completely pin you down. I remember the first time, when we started doing the interviews, I was asking kind of general questions to Noel, and Noel was saying, uh, you know, he'd ask, he'd, he'd take the piss out of me a bit, as he does with everyone. And I remember one point I was saying, well, the B-sides, those amazing B-sides we were just talking about, like the master plan, we finish off with one of the greatest tunes, as far as I'm concerned, ever written, and it's, and it's probably the best end credit song ever written, and it, it's a B-side, you know, and they kind of effectively, in today's terms, you, you say they're throwing it away. And he was like, yeah, we should have kept those for the third album. That was a real fuck up. And he was like, to be honest, if we'd kept them for the third album, I certainly wouldn't be talking to you. I'd be talking to Martin Scorsese right now. <laughs> that's the thing. So you've got to kind of, you've got to keep your wits about you. And was there any resistance from Liam at all based on the fact that it was essentially, had come from Noel? Not, not really, was it? Really? No, I think he... I he think said, the... why didn't you come to me first or before? Mm. But that, he washed over pretty quickly. Yeah, that was, that was, I think he was, I mean, his first question when he came in, to do the first interview was right. Who's the hero and who's the villain? You know, and I think he was very wary of not. He wanted it to be fair. Mm. He didn't want anything whitewashed, but he, he wanted it to be fair in that they would both come out of it as they were and as they are. So, and I think that's what you know. Credit to Matt. That's what he's done because it really does feel like an even 
playing field. I, was, I mean, well, we talked about uh, one of the things going into it. I was, I was just keen to have a, a balance. So as long as, obviously, they're going to end up slagging each other off. And they, they did a lot in the interviews. But they also said a lot of generous things, which was kind of surprising to me. I think a little bit surprising to, to each other when I, when I related them back. And, and maybe even to themselves as they were saying it. When, they were, when I pushed them and showed them a lot of their early footage, I think one of the things that comes across is how much love was there. And maybe it's kind of dwindled over the years and, and turned to bitterness. But it's still something there. And yeah, so I guess one of the things I was just trying to find the balance, but it was interesting. We didn't really, we obviously, we didn't do any test screening. This is a very small film, but we did show it to a few friends and we showed it to people involved in the team. And it was interesting. It seemed to be pretty evenly split about people who were going, well, Noel's a genius and poor, poor him having to deal with Liam, or Liam's a genius and poor him having to deal with this control freak. And it was pretty much, it was like a kind of Rorschach test. You'd go into it and whatever you brought to it was what you took out rather than necessarily coming, you know. And I think some people also surprised by their characters because I think this caricature of the few, you know, the, the, the next 10, 15 years, they turned into this tabloid thing and I think maybe they played up to it as well. So it's, it was surprising to me to find or to be reminded how smart and, and funny they are. So Liam plays things pretty close to his chest. He's not someone, even when he's got a record out and even during sort of the latter day period with Oasis, he wouldn't really do any press. Mm -hmm. And certainly in you know, the BVI time, you know, very, very little press. So he's quite guarded about and hasn't told the stories over and over again. Or, and the first thing he said when he came out of the very first interview, you know, he said, fucking hell, that's like you know, coming out of therapy. Because he's not someone that sits there. Even when he's with Bonehead or the guys that he still stays in touch with, they don't sit there and reminisce. You know, they just, whatever they do, they're in the moment and that's it. So to actually go back and look at the footage and talk about the footage and the interviews that Matt did were you know, very extensive. I think it's probably about 20 hours with Noel, probably about 12 or 13 with Liam. So it's fairly you know, detailed and in-depth and you could see this, you know, the overriding thing was that those two guys just love each other. You know, they can't be in the same room as each other or the same postcode, but they love each other. And um, I mean, the first thing, we did about three interviews, I think, with Noel first. And then after the third one, I said, oh, we're doing Liam on Monday. And then they sort of waited from outside the studio for the next interview. And the first thing he said without any kind of banter or the usual nonsense was, you know, how's our kid? You know, and that's, they just want to know how he, the other one is the whole time. But you can't pick up the phone. Yeah, but can't. Which is part of the film about, I guess. And, and as you say, they weren't ever in the same room together, right? Right. It's been for quite some time. Um, and do you think that even-handedness you're talking about is achieved by the fact you interviewed them both in isolation and then kind of you created a narrative out of that, which wasn't those two in a room squabbling, but in a way they were in conversation almost? Yeah, I hope so. I mean, that's what we, we had a level of control you wouldn't have if they were in the same room. And I think, obviously, we have... It was very rare that they did interviews together. They just started doing them in the early days and they descended into like, banter and violence so quickly that they ended up being... They stopped that and Noel did everything. And, and Liam, I think, initially was like, well, this is great because I get the morning off. And then he felt a little bit sidelined, which you kind of see in the film. But I think with us, it was like, as soon as you get the two of them in a room, as much as the coup as that would be, and it would be great to maybe film it if, if we get a chance, you're not going to get anything that productive out of it because it's going to be very funny, but it's going to be very superficial. And certainly if we want to talk about childhood or their reactions to each other or some of these big events in their lives, I don't think we would have been able to dig as deep. Um, so I think whatever would have happened, we'd probably end up having to do solo interviews for the bulk, and then, if, and then it looked at one point as if things had thawed a little bit. And we thought, great, we'll get them in the room, but it, it never worked out. Did they have another spat, or was it just? Another spat, yeah, another yeah, yeah. Spat. Well, a daily spat, because it's <laughs> either, because it tends to be, from yeah, people don't know anyway, that Liam 
hourly tweet something horrible about Noel, and then Noel reacts in an interview. This is kind of happening currently. It's probably happening right now. Does he call him like a potato, like once a week? Yeah, that's his current thing. Yeah. Which I, I think, I think Liam's probably figured out that the more childish he is, because especially because Noel is like now this great, you know, great statesman of rock, and he's mates with everyone from Jagger to McCartney and everyone else, I think the more childish he makes it, it's like your little kid brother just doing this on you the whole time and flicking your ear. And the bigger you get, actually, if it was something a bit more intelligent, then he probably wouldn't wind him up as much as the fact that it's just potato. I don't know. Yeah. And um, obviously, they're both known for being candid um, to some extent, like what you're saying, the kind of how brutal they can be. Right. But were you surprised at how open they were? So I'd never heard Noel speak it's that way about his father, for right. example, which is one of the most moving moments, I think, in the film. Right. Did that take quite a long time to uncover? Was that, that something that you had to kind of build up a trust to get him to share? A little bit, only because I think, not because there was anything that he said was out of bounds or anything like that, but it's more that, yeah, we, we knew quite early on, we knew we had the luxury of a lot of time, so we'd touch on these things. And when I realised that I wasn't getting very much, I was getting a kind of stock answer where he, he tends to go, look, everyone knows about my childhood anyway, it's not that big a deal, it doesn't affect me. And that's what we got the first time. I was like, all right, well, I think there's a bit more to it, but maybe we'll come back to it. And then next week, maybe I'd spoken to Liam, I'd spoken to Peggy, their mum, spoken to the brother and said, well, actually, it's, it's interesting you say that and I'm not contradicting you, but, blah, blah, blah. and even by the end, we'd kind of address it to some extent every week or every time we, we got together. And even to the point where, so my wife's a psychiatrist and I'd joke with him and just say, look, she says it's all bullshit. <laughs> and actually, you're, she calls it very, you're very defended. You're very well defended and you create this kind of wall. But actually, it's got to be more. And then you go, well, all right, well, maybe. And then he would, where we kind of got to, which I think was better than any, for me anyway, it was more revealing than any kind of Oprah Winfrey style kind of floods of tears thing. But yeah, you're right, you're right. It was all about my whatever. It was more to do with him going, look, what I'm going to say to you is that my childhood, of course, everyone's childhood affects them, but I won't let my childhood affect me, which is very different. Mm. And so I'm not going to effectively, what I'm learning from that is kind of, I'm not going to be a victim. All these things happen to me, and this is, and everyone knows how that should pan out, and I won't let it pan out that way, and I won't let it affect my family and my kids and those kind of things, which I think is a very brave thing to say. But for me, it was more revealing than if, you know, if we'd had him, not that he would ever do this, but break down and effectively and reveal all. I think it was more interesting to see how people protect themselves from their past. I think part of it was that both of them really enjoyed the process. They enjoyed the coming in for the interviews. And I think that making the decision very early on to make them audio interviews makes the subject much more comfortable anyway. They're not sitting wondering how they look or if they're sweating or whatever else they're doing. And Noel, even after the first one, Noel called me up and he said, listen, just stop me from do going into stand-up comedian, because he does have that habit of when, he, in the first interview of almost kind of looking to the fourth wall and sort of winking, you know, and he just says, stop me, stop me from doing that, because this isn't what it's about, and I, that's my sort of default setting is to go into that sort of stand-up comic mode. And I think because it was audio only, there was just, they just felt very, very relaxed, and they were kind of enjoying the process, and, and Matt's style of interviewing made them feel very relaxed. And you, you, even with notes, you broach it by saying, well, listen, you don't have to talk about this if you don't want to, but do you mind if I ask you about this? And they, they don't know, it's, you know, after the seventh or eighth hour, they're quite comfortable about talking about that stuff because they know Matt's not there to stitch them up. So I think it kind of did let the drawbridge down. Yeah, is, I mean, it's, it's, an, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because you want to you get, you want to delve and ask all the things that you want to ask, and you want to be, you know, as, as any director is, you want to be a nosy bastard and ask all the questions you shouldn't ask. 
but luckily they never said no. So I think it was one of those things, just not being diplomatic, but just kind of saying, look, I know this is difficult, but let's talk about this. And when you get to a certain point, they would never say, right, stop the interview, or we're, this is, you know, we're done with this subject. It was more when I kind of realized they were drying up or it was getting a bit stale. Like, oh, all right, fine, we'll talk about something else. And I knew we could come back two weeks later and, and carry on. So we never had the problem you would normally have when you've only got someone for a couple of hours or something, where you'd just be like, oh, God, this is, this is it or nothing. There was le far less pressure that way. Another important part of the process is obviously the footage that you uncovered. So it's a two-part question, really. One, how the hell did you find it? Because some of that stuff, I'm like, who is filming that? Or where have they been hiding it for the last <laughs> right. like, 10 years? But um, on the second hand, what was it like when you first showed it to them? Because presumably they didn't know some of that existed or no. they'd forgotten. That must have been a really um, important part of the process, kind of unlocking some of that stuff, is them going back yeah. to stuff they may not even have remembered. No, for sure. But I think finding it, it was... Very like, luckily for us, the, the fact that they, I guess they trusted Simon, they trusted the project, that was one of the things where they said, okay, well, I guess this is the one. I remember Marcus, who's one of the managers, said the first time we met him, and it was that same screen uh, uh, meeting with Noel, and he just said, look, we kind of feel like this is the one to do. This is, this is the time we're actually going to make the film. If this is the way that you guys are talking about it, it's not just a Nebworth film, it's, it's an Oasis film. So if this is the kind of standalone Oasis film, then we need to, we're going to let everyone you know, contact you and, and you can basically open our address books to you, which was amazing. So all these people from their past, from Mark Coyle, who was their first producer, who was friends with them and who recorded audio of everything, I mean, meticulously and kind of, and I had all this stuff that he'd, he'd kind of catalogued through the years but forgotten about. And then it's going go, I don't know if this is useful, but it's him playing Don't Look Back in Anger for the very first time in a sound show. I'm like, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's useful, you know. And then there was other things like, Tim Abbott, who obviously we, so we'd known, I knew of through creation, but again, they just said, look, Tim's had, had this footage. He's not, you know, he's been waiting for the right project for it to be involved in. You know, he's got, he's had his own, he's, he's also making his own films. It's one of those slightly touchy subject, but mm. maybe this is the time to visit it. And we kind of met him and talked about it. And he had all this amazing stuff. And because he knew them and because they were friends and colleagues and also did a lot of drugs together, then it didn't matter that everyone was filming and not really, it wasn't an issue. They could, and it was lovely because Liam and Noel were talking to him, to a friend, but they're talking to the audience for us, obviously. But it was, um, and sometimes we just got lucky. I mean, when we started doing the interviews, Noel and Liam kept on, the, the kind of catchphrase was always like, well, the most important thing that ever happened to us was Japan, but there's no footage of it. Or the most important thing was Whiskey Agoga, but unfortunately there's no happen. So I don't know how you're going to make this film. And the first time we met Liam, Liam was like, look, I'd love you to make this film, but there's no footage, so good luck to you. And weirdly, it wasn't that a huge amount of footage arrived, but for some reason it kept on being the footage that they said was important in, in their lives. So got lucky. Lucky that there was a... Japanese student that happened to go to King Tut's and she was a huge 18-wheeler fan who were the main act when Alan McGee came to see them for the first time and she just happened to film them. You know, There's no reason why she should have done it. They were no, on she before. wasn't a fan, they've never even heard of them, but just happened to film them. And then we managed to track her down through... Yeah, Fiona, one of the other producers, contacted her through Instagram because she was a, she was a student and we knew that she'd studied stained glass. And so yeah. she just went on, on Instagram and was just looking up stained glass Japan student and eventually she tracked her down, yeah. Amazing. Um, and there obviously are things that no video exists for, so I'm thinking when they got arrested on the ferry, right. uh, when Liam gets hit in the head with a hammer, yes. you know, things that probably wouldn't be video of. Yeah. And I'm really interested in how you kind of solve that from a visual perspective, which is obviously the animations, which seem to be a mix of practical and illustration and 2D and 3D. It, it's a really interesting kind of execution to fill, to bridge those gaps, I suppose. Talk me through the process, how it was decided, well, what Matt that would look like. Well, Matt worked with those guys, it's the brewery, Mark Knapson at the brewery that had 
um, did all those animation clips and we knew that we wanted to have those anecdotes in there because they were great, but we just didn't, and especially the Amsterdam ferry thing, wasn't one photograph. So Matt suggested them and they put together like a little, they did like a little rough like version a of it. Yeah, yeah, it was just like, fucking hell, excuse my language, but that was spot on. They got yeah. it, you know, they nailed it right away so it was a tricky one because obviously with your design background we kind of talked about what it could be and it could be they've got such recognizable faces we thought well maybe we do it with caricatures and we yeah. looked at a few animators online and we're like, oh that could be great and looked at different things and each time we kept on going around the houses and saying but it if you stick these in none of them really feel like they're part of the film and then okay, and then um and then mark came in and he, he came into the office and there's a bit of a clutter of kind of set lists and contact sheets and the rest of it and he said well how about if, you, if you're doing a kind of top shot of your office and the research that you're already doing and, and what's going to be in the film, then you can kind of move through these different worlds and whether it's the clutter of kind of a, a map of Amsterdam or whether it's the contact sheet which has its own proscenium arch, you're somehow moving through one world into another. And that then suddenly made, made sense because it feels like, okay, well, that's still part of our world rather than just suddenly we teleport over to a different style of filmmaking. But that was taking a little bit of playing around with. And, um, and the, the lucky thing with them is they're very happy to try and test things out. And they kind of, what do you think of this? Oh, we hate it. All right, okay, we'll try this. What do we like this? You know, and each time you get a little bit closer. But it was, it was a tricky one because there was lots of, and also finding the balance because we felt originally we didn't have the, uh, the Liam Hammer bit in there and it was out and there was a lot more about the Stone Roses and about the Beatles. And then when it went back in, it felt like, okay, it's great because we need to kind of announce that we are going to be doing this from time to time. And if you don't do it early enough, then it feels weird when it comes in halfway through. The big worry with that stuff, really, was not from our own point of view, because we, we knew that we liked it, but we weren't showing anything to Noel or Lee until pretty much a cut that's pretty close to this. It was about two hours and a bit. 20 or something, yeah. yeah. But the, you know, the meat and potatoes of it was pretty much still the same. And we had said that we were going to be doing animation and to illustrate you know, certain stories, but we didn't know what their reaction would be to it, because... That was the hardest part of the process, I think, was well, they we were like so excited not, about yeah. it. And then they came in for a screening. They obviously they couldn't sit together, but they had, because we were on such a uh, schedule, tight schedule, we had to show it to them either the same day, because we couldn't lose days editing, or we had to show one, one day and one the next day. And so that was my big worry, is that they were going to look at it. They hate it. And, and well, Liam would be more... Well, I don't know, those trainers seem to take that off, you know, whereas Noel would come out and go, what was that? You know, so that was the real worry, and I think my real concern was them just going, oh, I hate the animation, and then we would have really been stuck because we kind of, we committed to it, yeah, it, yeah, we were committed to it, but they loved it. Well, so. who saw it first then, in the end? No. No. No, did we? So we, had, we said we're going to show it to them twice each, and they didn't have any editorial control, but we wanted to hear what they thought, obviously, and... Ideally, not have them hate the film, and so we had um, so we screened it the first time for Noel. And I think I think I'm right in saying that his, he was on tour and he got um, and then Simon texted me like that morning or something. No, this was the second time. Was that the, the second, second time? time yeah. Oh the, right, okay. The first time that they uh, came in to see it, and they weren't watching the film. You know, they were listening to hear what the other one was saying about each other. So they were kind of came, came out and they were a little bit dazed by it. They, you could tell that they liked it, but they were. They hadn't taken any of it in because they're just listening to hear what the other one was saying, and they had, both had a couple of very minor things that they wanted taken out of it, 
and Noel had a little bit that he wanted to put it back. Oh, it was in. more about like his yeah. Well, I think that it was main road thing. The main yeah. I mean no, but it was it was it was not what you expect. I suppose this is what we were just talking about before. Because I, what I didn't want, and I've kind of, we'd been pretty front uh, upfront when we started making the film was like, look, you can't you can't come into the edit suite and make your film. This is where we're going to make a film, but we would like you to to see it, and, and we hope you like it. And it was one of those things where it's like, well, what are they? What if they start reacting and saying, well, he can't say that about me, I can't say it was like, the thing falls apart, and that's not really the way we make films anyway, obviously. So, but we wanted, you know, we obviously wanted to hear what they, they had to say, and I think Noel, when he started talking about it, all the things he said were exactly what you might hope from, you know, like a producer or, or a friend or something. It was very much like, look, where's Main Road? We'd cut it out or cut it almost completely out because we felt it overshadowed Nebworth. So it's like, well, that was a huge gig for us. Like, okay, fine, well, then we had to try and find space for it. And we spent the last... The session with Noel talking about the legacy of Oasis and what does this story mean and what have we learned from it and, all the, and could it ever happen again? And that was the, the, another 10 minutes of the film at the end and he was just like, where's it gone? And we cut it out two days before because it was like, well, well we need to interesting, that, that part of the story, when we the very first meeting we had with Noel, that's the thing that he kind of underlined. He said, you know, it was the kind of the last call to arms before the internet came into play and that's the real big part of the story, that it was a real gathering where you kind of had to be there you couldn't Google something, you couldn't look on YouTube, you had to get off your ass and had to be at the gig, or you had to go to the record shop and buy the record. And that was the thing that he felt was important and that had changed. And he said, listen, that's really, that's, that, that's, that's what it's about. Yeah. Which I thought was, again, was fair enough, but it wasn't, there were no comments. Because a couple of times we'd been doing interviews recently, everyone was like, oh yeah, well, we know did they tell you to cut this bit out about them? It, was like, it wasn't like that, luckily. It was very much about what the film is and what it represented. And it was good. And then afterwards, when Liam came in, Liam was like, what does our kid, you know, our kid say? I was like, well, this is what he said. He was like, all right. And there was a, we used to have a kind of jokey bit of animation where when he goes, look, that gig is happening, whatever, even if my mum has to play bass, we had their mum and the bass kind of went, Whew! And landed in her, and it was, to be honest, it wasn't great. It was something we were just trying out, and it was like, that's rubbish. Yeah. <laughs> but that, that was the only thing, you know. Yeah. And I think also partly maybe because it was their mum. Don't like, take the mick out of a northern mum. Don't take yeah, the yeah. piss Do out of their mum. Yeah, that was a mistake. Mom. But, you know, but yeah, again, they're kind of not notes that you would, the notes that you would fear, where it was like, actually, this, isn't, this doesn't represent us, or he can't, say, he can't be rude about me. And Why do you think they're able to, because that takes quite some shelving of ego in some respects, to, right. to not really be worried about, about that kind of thing and do more kind of filmmaking notes. Yeah. Why do you think they both were able to get to that place at, at the end? I guess because, that's a good question. I, I guess because, from my perspective, like they've heard worse. Like there's, <laughs> there's some, yeah, like they, every day, Noel probably reads worse on Twitter. So I guess he's got that part of him. And also, I guess, because they were so generous about each other as well. So hopefully, we didn't, I don't feel like we pulled any punches, but I was keen to try and remind them that it wasn't all terrible in those days, and actually there was a lot of love. I think they're quite honest about each, about themselves mm. as well, in, in the negative side of themselves, that um, it wasn't just one saying their opinion about the other, they had their own opinions about themselves, which, again, were very frank and very candid and very honest. So I think it, fe it felt to them like it was back. Excuse me, it felt like to them like it was balanced. And I think on the second screening, they, which was kind of a week or so later, after we incorporated those yeah. sort of minor changes, they were sort of cock-a-hoop, which was, you know, we couldn't believe it, because we were just like... Because yeah. apparently you know, Noel not, he's not one to spring out with a compliment by the sounds of things. He just kind of gives you, if, if, it's, if something's gone brilliantly when they're recording an album, when he says, you used to say, he kind of give you a curt nod. No, right. And he texted me in advance of that saying, oh, listen, I've you know, I've got a terrible cold, so I probably won't hang around for a chat afterwards. 
you know, I feel really rough. And that's why I said to him, oh, God, this is great. You know, this is, you don't, that's not the sort of mood you want someone to see the cut of the film in. And, um, he kept, you know, at the end of it, he was just, oh, that's, you know, I don't need to see it again. It was brilliant. Well done. You know, and we just sort of looked at each other and went, Get him out of the room before he changes his mind. He's like, great, 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 okay, perfect. Like, oh, there's your cab. Yeah. Just get him out yeah, of the room. Liam came in that afternoon, and again, reaction was the same. And we were he turned up with Bonehead the second time, didn't he? That's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, got him, we got him really pissed. It was yeah. good. It was good. Because he, he'd seen it the first time and was happy. And so the second time, he just wanted to kind of you know, see what it was. And I think he watched it. And they said, can, we, can you get some beers in? And they got absolutely trashed. Yeah. And then every time Noel turned up on screen, he was like chucking popcorn. Yeah. Like, that sort of thing. But it was pretty, yeah, it was good. And by that stage, you can kind of relax and en yeah. enjoy it. It was terrifying. The first two screenings was probably the most it's nervous I've ever been. You know, been editing for sort of months and almost kind of like driving blind in a way because they, they could have just walked in and go, mm. What the fuck is this? That's, that's you must have slept well that night. Yeah, it was good. It was good. It was, yeah, it was traumatic going up to that point. After that, it felt like it kind of slid into place. So one last question before we throw it out to people. Um, so I heard there's an eight-hour cut of this film. There is. Somewhere. Yeah. What are you going to do with that six hours of footage? I would, I would love to... I mean, it's, it's saying it's eight hours. Obviously, it's, the interviews are eight hours, and then it has sporadic bits of footage in there, because... You know, you can't illustrate everything. There's some bits in it that I really miss. And if there's any fans here, uh, they'll probably know what those bits are because there's kind of key moments in the, in, inevitably that as we're making a two-hour film as opposed to an eight-hour film, you end up taking out. Very late in the day, actually, I was really struggling to get it down from three hours to two hours and kept on concertinaing and would take something important out and then put it back in and, and do all this kind of thing. And, um, yeah, the eight-hour cut, but it's, it's great. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, it's better. <laughs> so I would love, I love everyone. I would wish we could have shown you an eight-hour cut. A lot of it is blank screen but it's very funny and it's like you know the things they say about each other are great and all that kind of thing it's, it's like there's it's more it's everything like this. it's like maybe like be here now it's kind of like this but more you know and turn up to 11 and, yeah. and all that stuff but you know maybe one day i'd love to put it on youtube tonight but i probably won't you work should. again yeah okay you should. Well, as long as you guys are happy with it and you, yeah, yeah fine um we've got time for a few questions does anybody have any questions Hi, um, I think it's a really, really skillful piece of filmmaking, but it feels like it's being made in a bubble uh, because we take their word for it that they're the greatest band in the world and it's the, they're this, they're that, they're that. But, you know, what did they feel about Radiohead, about Blur? They, you know, the fact that they didn't really break America. We, we never really got a sense of that. Yeah. And I just wondered, you know, was there any thoughts about you know, talking to Tom York and, and people like that. We did think about it, but I felt quite early on, I kind of felt like they... So those documentaries have been made not only about the Britpop scene and the, the indie scene, but also obviously about Oasis in the past. And we, our, our initial pitch on it was, look, this is told from the tour bus perspective. This is told from their first point of view. And they, with the exception of Blur, they're not really asked about anyone else. And certainly on the way up, it was, all, it was just, just happening so quickly. They were very much... You know, they kind of they were quite blinkered in terms of their perspective. So, from my, I, I was worried. Well, it's one of the initial conversations we had about talking heads, no talking heads, and similarly with, well, who do we interview? And we met, we, and rightly or wrongly, we made a decision up front, which was like, look, unless you were there, unless you were part of this team, uh, then you're not in the film. So that was. So we had some really great people on offer to us through the band. So as the interviews um, progressed, we realised how kind of candid and honest they were being about themselves, and we thought, well, this is the, you know all of a sudden, this sort of takes it out of being a kind of a rock documentary, and it's, it, it's, it seemed much more personal and 
into the kind of heart of what made the two brothers tick, and the two brothers are the kind of heart of that band. And you know, you've got two hours, so why not just focus on that? Because that's the story that really hasn't been told in any great detail. And I think the kind of, I mean, I got the we did the whole Blur versus Oasis thing, but it just seems so tired because you've heard it so many times before, and there's nothing really new to add to it. And we just didn't want to go over ground that had been covered, you know, to the degree that that had been covered. And getting back to the the other. I mean, we had so many other people on our kind of wish list, and people, even people that agreed to do it, like Johnny Depp, because Johnny Depp had spent time with Noel in Mustique when he was writing the demos, and he was up for doing it. And we thought, well, we don't really want to have all these voices that are giving their opinions. We wanted to have people that are actually there and were witnessing it and part of it, rather than, oh, this is what we think, and that's what they think. It wasn't the film that we wanted to make. But I think yeah, the bubble thing is is right. I mean, I think that's that was kind of the intention. But maybe you know whether that's a successful thing or not. I think that we definitely what they they kept on describing it as being in a bubble and feeling like they didn't really know what was going. And, and you hear the same thing obviously in the Beatles documentary. So it's like they're very much like the five of them and no one else counts. And I think there were certain bits that I really do miss. For example, the Blur Oasis thing was something that was in there, but we found a kind of angle on it, and it, it was describing the, their perspective and the kind of the rise. It's just a two-hour film, and something had to give. And I think there were moments in it where I kind of, we again, like we said, we kind of, so we spoke to Johnny Marr, for example, who was brilliant, and came and gave us a lot of his time because he was friends with Noel, and that was great. And it was this voice, and it was kind of there was this amazing anecdote in Newcastle, which we managed to kind of animate, where he gets attacked, Noel gets attacked on stage, and he smashes the guy over the head with a guitar, which happened to be Johnny Marr's guitar, which had been given to him by Pete Townsend. <laughs> and it was brilliant, and it all kind of came together. And that was one of the first things that we cut together. I was like, this is great. The, the documentary feels like it's working. And it off, I guess it, you know, everyone who's a filmmaker is like, it often seems to be the case that one of those sequences that you go, well, the film can't survive without this, is one of the bits that you end up jettisoning. And it was, again, him and then Johnny Depp, who'd been there in Mustique, a few people, we were like, they've got to be in there, not because we want their name in the trailer or anything like that, but just because they were there. But even then, it just felt that just like those voices were kind of intruding in a way that wasn't that helpful. But the eight-hour cut, they're all in there. <laughs> Can I just ask, um, it might be a controversial thing that you can't speak about for even maybe legal reasons, but Alan White, drummer, yeah. as in, there seemed to be a kind of, he was there, but we saw him, but am I, was I completely missing the point that was he, has something happened that, that, I've, I've kind of like been a bit of a Paul Gallagher's been saying something. <laughs> I'm not oh, trying to gossip, but but is there a controversial story behind Alan you could no, share? No, I don't think there's anything controversial. I don't, you know, he didn't want to contribute to the film. And a lot of the people, once they've left something, you know, they don't want to have any part of it. So, you know, they almost describe it. It's like it's a divorce. They don't want to sit and talk publicly about their ex-wife. And that was kind of Alan's... Uh, viewpoint and fair, fair enough to him. I mean, that wasn't, I mean, we'd love to have spoken to him, but it didn't take anything away from the essence of the film. Or it wasn't like we sat there thinking, oh my God, what are we going to do now? I didn't miss him, I was just... Yeah, yes, no, so... Um, well, the person I, I missed personally, because we, so we, we um, I went to meet Gwigs, well, we both did, and, um, and Gwigs, Gwigs is the bass player, and he... He's been, he kind of disappeared after the, like, during the recording of the fourth album. And he, uh, if you're an Oasis fan, it's like this slightly mythical thing about him because no one knows what happened to him. And he, maybe he's a hermit living in a cave or maybe went, he's living in the Himalayas or something. And no one really, it was, he's a recluse. Apparently he's like, you know, Howard Hughes or something and his toenails are seven foot long. And actually, 
Simon put, got his address off Jill, who's one of the photographers we work with, and filmed them. And we put a note under his door, and he got in touch and said, yeah, we'll go for a drink, turn up at the pub. And we assumed, again, it was going to be one of those things where it's like 10 minutes later, right, nice to meet you, but leave me alone kind of thing. And, and actually, he was like, carrying on talking, carrying on talking, to a point where Simon had to go and pick up his kids from school. I carried on talking, carrying on talking. And then about, then he said, do you want to come back to my house? Went back to his house, met his family. Well, really lovely. Like it was really lovely. Great, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was away from the Mediterranean, yeah. Went home at three in the morning, and we kind of got to a point where he kind of said, well, look, I think maybe, I've not spoken to anyone since I left, but maybe I could become part of this film. And then he just changed his mind. And there's much, and he's got, he's incredibly smart, funny. He's got a great, he's just so many great stories in him. But he didn't want to share them with us, unfortunately. But, you know, can't have everything. I, I really enjoyed the film. Thank you very much. Um, my son's a musician. He's touring America at the moment. Um, and that's the reason I came today, because it's part of my life. Uh, um, what's your instigation for making this film? I noticed that money was put by Noel himself as executor. Do you think... Let me stop you right there. They, oh. they, they didn't put any money Well, I there. noticed his name. He's a sexy producer in the sense um, that they have a, you know, okay. Uh, okay. it's their you, band. Um, I quite like the drama of the civil rivalry. Do you think there's any hope of them going back together like they were? I, I, well, I think like they were is unlikely, but I think, I, I, as a fan, and also, I guess, knowing them now the way I do, I, I, it'd be such a shame if they never, they were never a part of each other's lives again. I mean, we spent a lot of time with Peggy, with, with uh, Paul, the, the brother. It just feels, and, and they spend so much time talking about each other and asking each other's opinion. Apparently, you said something interesting the other day, which is very true, I unusual? think. Um, yeah, I know that's why I noted it down. <laughs> I made a note of it. And <laughs> um, a lot of these bands, whether they're the Stone Roses or even the Pistols, or all, 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 all those bands that kind of got back together again, um, get back together because when they were in their first run, they never kind of achieved those heady heights. They never played stadiums, and they never achieved what Oasis achieved. So I think anything that Oasis would do now, at best, would equal what they've done right. in the past, they would never better it. So I think in the back of their heads, there is that kind of thing like, well, you don't want to come back and do a kind of second tier version of what, I mean, Liam would be happy to go out and play, you know, the whiskey again. You know, that would, you know, he's not, it's not about the, the numbers and whatever else. So, but I think it's hard for a band that was that big to kind of try and recreate something and try and better it. And I think that's, probably a reason why, why it probably won't happen, I don't, I don't think. know. But it's interesting, though, because you know, one of the things that, obviously, we finished the film with it, but Noel kept on coming back to, and Liam kept on revisiting, was the idea of the fans. And it wasn't about us, it was the fans. And we could have been playing in a vacuum if it weren't for them. And they, they created this phenomenon, not us. And I think that would be the reason for getting together. They'd have to have a good reason for doing it. That would be the reason. But I think for all the, re all the, all the, all the things that we see that happening between them, the friction between them in the film, that's obviously what Noel's worried about. And I think... We've got two years where they've, like, they're about to release al solo albums. Uh, well, Liam's about to go into the studio. I think Noel's no. working on a, on a thing at the moment. So that's t for two years, it's definitely out off the cards. But I, I don't know. I, I, I was talking to a journalist the other day, and he was saying he'd been to, I mean, he's obsessed. And in a kind of, you know, obviously one of those kind of borderline psychotic ways. He's like, I, I went to every gig. I was every gig, and I've kept every set list and everything else. And he said, having seen them from 94 up to when they quit in 2009, uh, like a couple of gigs before they actually finally quit, he said the best gig they ever did was Wembley, the last one he ever saw. So in that sense, it's like it's not like they kind of peaked, 
I mean, yes, okay, people can argue about the quality of different songs, different albums, but they were still, in terms of the live show, they were as good as they'd ever been, I think. So it'd be a shame if they never know. got back together again. On yeah. the other hand, you know, any thoughts, any slightly arrogant thoughts we might have had was like, well, maybe we'll bring them back together. Seems to have got worse in the yeah. process of making this film. So yeah, you never know. <laughs> Fingers crossed. I would, I would love to see them again. Yeah. Camera hope. Okay, um, that's all we've got time for. Thank you so much for coming out this evening. And um, please join me in thank you, Matt Whitecross and Simon Halpern. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. That's great. Thank you. Thank you.